Hi and welcome to the very first episode of Women in the Word at Uni podcast. My name is Rachel and I work with the Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students in Brisbane and I'm so glad you've joined us today to spend some time together just reading the Word of God and finding out what He has to say with to us. Now, to begin with, let me ask you a question. Would you prefer to look older than you actually are or younger? If you walk into the cosmetics aisle of your local supermarket or any pharmacy, you might get the impression that young is definitely better. You may not need to use them yet. Uh, It's a good thing if you don't, but there's a whole slew of products just waiting for women and men to snap up, slather on their faces and fight the visible signs of aging. Because evidently looking younger must be a good thing. The irony is that when you do look young, and this may have happened to you, it can actually work against you. My background is in nursing and particularly when I was a younger nurse, not so much now, I had a few instances in which patients had trouble believing I was old enough to look after them. I can remember one lady in particular, I was giving her some IV medications and this is a fairly straightforward procedure and one that I had performed countless times before. However, my patients started to question what I was doing. She seemed to second guess my actions. I could tell that she didn't trust that I knew what I was doing. So I casually mentioned that by this point, I had actually been a registered nurse for a number of years. And with that, her whole demeanor changed. Suddenly, she visibly relaxed. You see, I think that at the base of her concern was a lack of trust. While she believed I was a nurse, she didn't trust that I was experienced or capable. Belief wasn't enough until it was accompanied by trust. You see, without trust, she was nervous and she was worried. She believed, but she didn't trust. And that was a problem because it cost her the opportunity to relax and just rest in the knowledge that I actually knew what I was doing. Do you think we can sometimes relate to God a bit like that? On one level, we might believe he exists, fully believe it. We might believe he's in control. But when it comes to the crunch, do we trust him? Can you rest in him, trusting that he knows what he is doing? Do you trust God or do you just believe in him? Because there is a very big difference as we're going to see today. Today, we're going to see in the book of Mark, people who clearly believed in Jesus, but their level of trust just didn't match up. People who believed, but weren't resting in his provision and his ability. Now, if you have your Bible with you, I really encourage you to look up Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 56. Read along because you need to know that I'm not just telling you what I think. You need to know that I'm opening the Bible with you. So let's read Mark 6 verses 30 to 56 together. I'm reading from the New International Version. Verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them 
because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged, to let him, they begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Our passage today begins with the twelve apostles reporting to Jesus all the things they've been doing and teaching. If you have your Bibles open, cast your eyes back just a little way to Mark 6, verse 7 to 13. Here we find Jesus sending out the twelve, commissioning them to take the good news of his kingdom out and about. They travel from town to town, they preach repentance, they cast out demons, they heal the sick. Jesus has sent them out as his representatives, as his ambassadors, and now they've returned to him to report back on their journey. The trouble is, they're popular, and so many people are coming to them that verse 31 tells us that they did not even have a chance to eat. So Jesus intends to take them somewhere quiet and restful. The trouble is that the crowds just keep coming, so the solitary place is not solitary for long. The crowds are so eager that they even get there first. So what does Jesus do? Does he say, quick, keep sailing, pretend we didn't see them? They'll eventually get the hint or they'll run out of energy to taste us at the least. He doesn't do that. Does he send the crowd packing? Sorry everyone, we're having a day off. Come back tomorrow. No, let's read verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. The people are like sheep without a shepherd. Now sheep and shepherding are images that we see right throughout the whole Bible. 
we're going to jump back to the Old Testament now and have a look at a book called Ezekiel. Now, the book of Ezekiel was written by the prophet Ezekiel, and he was a prophet in the 6th century BC. At this time, God's people were in exile. They were scattered and had no king to rule over them or to care for them. Israel had rulers and their job was to care for God's people, just as a shepherd would care for his sheep. But God gave Ezekiel some stern words to say to them because they weren't doing much of a job of it. Verse 2b says, Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? Israel's leaders were not caring for the flock, but that's precisely what's God, what God's people had to look forward to and to hope for in the future. Through his prophet Ezekiel, God promises that he will take care of his sheep. He will look after them and he will send a good shepherd to take care of them. A shepherd who will be like the great King David. If we fast forward from Ezekiel around 600 years to Jesus, we find Jesus who was born as a descendant of King David. Jesus who says this in the book of John, chapter 10, verses 11 to 15. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the promised shepherd of Ezekiel, and he looks at the people and sees sheep without a shepherd. Indeed, their current earthly ruler could hardly be described as a good shepherd. Immediately before the verses that we're looking at today in Mark, we see an incident where Herod Antipas, the king at the time, orders the beheading of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who is the one who'd been preaching, baptizing, preparing the way for Jesus. We met him right at the start of Mark. Herod is no loving shepherd. Herod takes life. Jesus will give up his life for his sheep. Despite his intention to take his closest disciples away to a quiet place, Jesus has compassion on the people, on his sheep, and he shepherds them by teaching them many things. Well, this is all very good, but the disciples turn to practicalities. It's getting late. They're in an isolated place and people are going to be getting hungry. So the disciples make a suggestion in verse 36. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. This all sounds fair and reasonable, doesn't it? Well, but Jesus has something else in mind. It's going to require more than just a response of reason and logic. Jesus, the shepherd, he continues to care for his flock. In a scene that's beautiful and pastoral, he has them sit in groups on the green grass 
And with just five loaves of bread and two fish, he feeds 5,000 men plus any women and children who might have been there as well. To the extent that they're all satisfied and there are even 12 basketfuls of leftovers. It's a picture of an amazing, abundant miracle. The leftovers far exceed the quantity of food they began with. It's also a picture of tender shepherding care from Jesus. Jesus feeds the people spiritually, teaching them his word, and he feeds them physically with bread and fish. But now that the people have been fed in body and spirit, Jesus sends the disciples in a boat and dismisses the crowd. Now Jesus goes off to pray. Some hours pass and then Jesus returns to his disciples who are by this time out in the middle of the lake struggling against a strong wind. Yet again Jesus acts in an extraordinary way. With the wind howling about him he steps onto the lake and walks on the water. Now we're told that Jesus was going to pass by them, to pass by the disciples. It's actually a similar phrase to one we find much earlier in the Bible. In Exodus 33 verses 19 to 22, we find a scene in which God will pass by Moses. Why? Well, when God passes by him, Moses will see the glory of God himself. In this scene in Mark that we're looking at today, the disciples should have seen the glory of God as God the Son in the flesh passes by walking on the water, but they don't. They see him and instead of awe and wonder, they respond, they respond with fear. They're terrified thinking he is a ghost. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid, says Jesus in verse 50. He climbs into the boat and the wind calms down. The forces of nature respond to Jesus. They are utterly under his control. Should this surprise the disciples? Just the evening before, they've seen him turn five loaves of bread and two fish into a feast for over 5,000 people. And prior to that, they've gone out as Jesus' representatives. They've been preaching and working miracles on his behalf. They've seen the power of God at work firsthand in incredibly vivid, unmistakable ways. That the same person who heals the sick with a touch, who casts out demons, who empowers them to do the same, who feeds 5,000, could control the natural elements by walking on water and by calming a storm. That fits with the picture we're building of Jesus. Here is God in the flesh. God the Son who was there at the very beginning for the creation of the world. Here he is controlling the created world. Yet the disciples don't understand. They miss out on the revelation of his glory in this instance. Their hearts were hardened, so they failed to see just how amazing and glorious Jesus is. Well, it's time to return to shore. It's ironic, isn't it, that not long after we've had this incident in which the disciples, in which Jesus' closest followers don't recognize him and mistake him for a ghost, we read verse 54. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. 
not surprisingly, as soon as people recognize Jesus, they run to him with the sick that he might heal them. And just as the woman we met with the bleeding disorder in Mark 5 is healed by merely touching Jesus' cloak, here in verse 56, we're told that they begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Here again, Jesus works in amazing and miraculous ways for those who seek him out to do so. So what about those disciples? How is it possible that these, the closest of Jesus' followers, the ones who knew him better than anyone in all these crowds that are flocking to Jesus, could miss out on understanding his power, could miss out on seeing just how glorious he is? Well, I'm going to suggest that we're actually not that different. You see, the disciples believed Jesus. They knew who he was. They believed who he was. Surely Jesus wouldn't have set them out as his ambassadors if they didn't. The Australian government is not going to appoint as our ambassadors to other countries. People who perhaps don't really like Australia, maybe don't have any sense of nationalistic pride, people who don't believe that Australia is a country worth standing up for, a country that's worth inviting people to visit. Jesus' apostles, the 12 who he sent out to work on his behalf, knew and believed in him. What the disciples need to do is to truly trust in Jesus, trust that he is able to feed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fishes, to believe and trust that he is capable of controlling the elements of nature. They don't understand him fully for all their belief in him, and that is a problem. What it means is that when they're in a crisis situation, instead of seeing Jesus and trusting him to take care of them, they're afraid. Instead of trusting their shepherd to protect them from danger and threats, the sheep are scared, as if it's the shepherd himself who's posing the threat, as if he's a ghost. They cannot rest in his shepherding care when they're thinking like this. Often it's those crisis situations that really show our faith for what it is. It's easy when things are going well to affirm that we believe in God and his power. But when that essay comes back with a fail grade, or we get that phone call that says someone we love has been in a car accident, or that boy that we really thought was the one seems to lose interest, when things get tough, do we look at God as our good shepherd who we can trust to take care of us? Or do we start to doubt him, to wonder, to start to ask where he is in our troubles? Perhaps even to start to feel like maybe, maybe he's out to hurt us. Do we trust him with that implicit faith that acknowledges he is capable of feeding 5,000, calming storms, walking on water, healing with a touch? Do we rest in him? knowing that he's in control and will provide for us? Or are we actually being busy trying to solve our problems on our own? Now, this is not to say that trusting God means we don't put in any effort at all. Resting in him does not mean we sit back and wait for a job to fall from the sky or that we'll pass all our exams without studying. Trusting in God and resting in him 
means that we use the gifts and resources he's given us, already provided us with, our brains, our legs, our hands, and that we work diligently with them. But we're not fretting about the outcome. We're working hard, but we're resting in the knowledge that God is in control. It's worth taking note of what else this passage is not saying. It's not saying that the people who Jesus healed had more faith than the disciples and that that's why they were healed. The Bible never, ever gives us a graph that plots out level of faith on one axis axis, and the amount of healing someone receives on the other axis. The outcome is not proportionate to faith. That's why we also can't understand it, all the healings we see here to be a guarantee that if we have enough faith, we or our loved ones will certainly be healed. And this is where the rubber really can hit the road. This is where our trust in Jesus can really be put to the test. To trust him enough to keep praying even when we don't see immediate answers. To trust him enough to still be able to say, you are Lord, you are God, and you are good. Even when his answer to our prayer is a no. To trust him that he has plans and purposes bigger than what we can see. It's easy enough to say, trust God more though, isn't it? But how do we actually do that? Well, let me ask you, what usually helps you to trust someone more? Who do you tend to trust more? The doctor you've been going to since you were a little tiny kid or the person you just met having a chat at the bus stop? Your best friend or the person who's just moved in across the street? Well, the person you know better, isn't it? We tend to trust people we know best, don't we? So get to know God more. Find out more about who he is, what his character is, the way he's worked faithfully with his people throughout the years. Get to know God more. And I'm going to suggest three ways in which we can do this. Firstly, pray. If you don't do it already, I really urge you to set aside a regular time in your day to pray. It might be morning, it might be evening, it doesn't matter when it is, but find a time that you can consistently commit and use it to talk to God each day. Prayer is a wonderful means God has given us by which we can communicate with Him. So build a prayer life. Make the most of this opportunity to talk to your Heavenly Father. Not sure what to pray for? Well, you might have heard of the ACTS acronym. That's A-C-T-S. A is for adoration. Tell God He's wonderful. Worship Him. C is for confession. Tell God you're sorry for sinning against Him. T is for thanksgiving. Thank God for something that's happened or that you've learned lately. And lastly, S is for supplication. That's a fancy word for ask. Bring any requests you have to God. One thing you can ask for is that he will help you to grow in your trust in him. The second thing that will help you trust God more is to read his word. If prayer is how we talk to God, reading his word is how we hear from him. It might work well for you to read the Bible in that same time slot that you spend praying. That's a really good idea because you might find that reading the Bible also gives you some things to pray for, some ideas for prayer points. 
You could choose a book of the Bible to read a part of each day and reflect on. There are also some great Bible reading apps out there. I'm going to suggest one to you. It's called Stand Firm and it's available on Apple or Android from the App Store. It's been developed by the Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students with university students specifically in mind. It gives you a passage of the Bible to read, questions about the passage, notes to help you understand it, and also some prayer points. So it's a really great app. Finally, the third thing to help you trust God more is to spend time with other Christians. If you're not already part of a church, or if you only go from time to time, seek out a church and make a priority of going each week so that you can be fed by the Bible teaching and be encouraged by spending time with other believers. That's why AFES also has groups on university campuses to encourage you by meeting with other believers at uni. And just to put in another plug, I recommend the AFES Media Camp in July to you. This is a wonderful opportunity to do all three of the things I've just suggested. You'll spend loads of time in the Bible, in prayer, and hanging out with other Christian uni students. You'll also have staff workers at your disposal all week to ask questions of. You can find out more on the AFES Brisbane Facebook page. You see, it's so important that we really get to know God and to grow in trust in him, to trust him enough that no matter what is going on, we can truly rest in him. At the beginning of today's passage, we met the disciples and Jesus seeking a place to rest. But do we ever really see the disciples truly resting in today's passage? Because ultimately, true rest is only found in Jesus In Jesus who says in Matthew 11 verses 28 to 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let us come to him, bring our burdens to him, and rest in him. In Jesus, our good shepherd, the shepherd who teaches us, who feeds us, and the one who lay down his life for the sake of us, his beloved sheep. Let's pray. Dear God, we praise you for who you are. We confess that we don't always trust you as we should. And we ask for your forgiveness for that. We thank you for sending your beloved son who tenderly cares for us as a shepherd of his sheep, who gave up his life for us, his sheep. Father, please grow us in a deep trust in you so that we can truly be at rest in you. And may we thereby bring you all the more glory. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.